This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Whakatane by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well. Now, you managed to not be on the show all of last week because you're a busy person. <laughs> what were you busy doing last week? Oh, just working. I'm actually back working in the office again, and so I don't... Um, if we if we can't get people to interview after sort of four thirty, I miss out, and it's really sad because it's such an important part of my day. But do you know um, I've been riding to work though on my new e-bike, so I'm feeling pretty happy about life in general. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and I haven't even fallen off at all. <laughs> <laughs> and who are we introducing today? It is my great pleasure to introduce Suze Wilson. Uh, Suze is a senior lecturer um, on leadership at Massey University and has just written an extraordinary article um, that featured in the New Zealand Herald today. Suze, it is a great pleasure to have you here. I really love the way you think um, and I'm really looking forward to, to how this interview goes today. Thanks for joining us. Well, kia ora. Thanks, Carly. Great to be here with you too, Sam. Kia ora, Suze. Where are you, Suze? Uh, I'm in Tamaki Makaurau at home. And we've been asking people how their bubbles are going. And of course, that's gotten complicated because now it's a traffic light and something else. So let's go back to the start. How was your bubble life? Um, bubble life for me was interesting because I've mostly worked from home for a long time. Um, so I'm all set up to work from home, but it nonetheless felt strange, um, you know, particularly when we're in level four because, you know, everything was so quiet. Um, everything was on on Zoom, all my contact with people other than my partner who I live with was on Zoom. And just the just the tension of worrying about how everything was going for people, you know, it was kind of just in the air the, the whole time. So, yeah, there was that, that sense of what people talk about blues day, you know, where one day just blues into the other because of just this constant anxiety about what's happening with the virus, how are we going, you know, are people safe? Um, and now that we're in traffic light, you know, we can go out, we can go to the shops. Um, we will go to restaurants, but only outside. Um, and, yeah, we're generally still keeping keeping, keeping our distance to try and make sure we don't add to the, the burden on the healthcare system. Yeah. Were you teaching throughout? Yes, yes. Actually, when the first lockdown happened, I had to convert a course um, in about five days notice from what would have been live to live, lots of group activities to, to do it online. And man, that was pretty, pretty stressful. Um, but the students were so great. Um, you know, like they were all in their bubbles too. And so of course we had lots of kids at class, which was really nice. Um, but, you know, there was a, a sense of all pulling together. Let's, you know, let's do the best that we can in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Um, so yeah, it was it was stressful but fun at the same time. One of the things that I really noticed, because I have done some teaching online for years, you know, it's always been part of what Massey does. Um, but since lock, lockdown, since really the pandemic, students are a bit more open really in the online environment about sharing sharing their space um and I, I like that because I like to have a sense of connection and, and know a bit about who they are you know they don't, they don't have to make me my them me my they don't have to make me their best friend but it's nice to know something 
you know, about, about their lives. Um, yeah. And having a pandemic raging globally around us, I presume would have given you lots to talk about in terms of leadership. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, um, that's kind of been my main focus, actually, in terms of my research and writing work the last couple of years is to try and understand, um, you know, what are the factors that are enabling good leadership in a pandemic situation and what is it that, that you know, should be, should be avoided, you know. And, I, I mean, I do think um, I've written a number of articles now analysing Ardern's leadership approach uh, to the pandemic. Um, and, you know, I think there are a lot of valuable lessons from that that aren't only relevant to people who are heads of state, they're actually relevant to people leading in local communities and businesses and that sort of thing. Um, which is not to say everything she's done is faultless, but we shouldn't expect a faultless performance, you know, not ever and certainly not in, in such a complex and ever-changing crisis. Um, but, you know, I, I think New Zealand has been extraordinarily lucky um, with, with the leadership that she has shown. Um, and I think it's a real shame that um, people are now taking up their frustrations um, with the situation, most of which is simply just not of her making, but blaming, blaming her. And this is something that all leaders are vulnerable to. We just blame them for everything. We expect them to fix everything, but, you know, they can't. Do you think if you were to have looked at the leaders globally pre-pandemic, you could have predicted how they would react and, and respond and, and lead during the pandemic? Um, well, some, yes, because they're generally not very competent. <laughs> <laughs> so if they're not competent in um, normal circumstances, then their incompetence is going to be even more problematic in, in a crisis situation. Um, I think it was predictable that the kind of, if you like, the macho strongmen kind of style of leaders, so the Bolsonaros, the, the Trumps, um, Johnson to a degree, uh, um, Lukashenko, um, that they would not take seriously a threat to people's well-being and therefore do absolutely the minimum that they they could or, or deny um, the seriousness of it. I think that was, that was predictable. Um, I also think I mean, I wish I could have predicted those things. <laughs> but, you know, I don't think any of us could have imagined quite how bad a pandemic would be, really. I mean, you know, even if we read the history books, it, it, it's hard to to have seen in advance how it would, how it would play out um, in quite such a disastrous fashion. Especially if you compare, actually, medically, in terms of medical science, where we are compared to the, the 2018 pandemic, you know, we have so much better knowledge at our disposal, but because of poor leadership, that, that hasn't been <laughs> um, deployed to best, to best effect. And there are so many avoidable deaths um, because of poor leadership. Um, you know, it, it, it irks me greatly, and that's putting it very politely. <laughs> so what does... And I realise there's probably more than one book in this, but what does good leadership look like? Hmm. Well, you mean just in the pandemic or generally? Oh, generally, I suppose. Generally. Um, so what, I mean, there's a whole body of research and there's different competing theories and that sort of thing, but some common themes that emerge, you know, are around um, leaders being able to articulate some kind of future vision about where it is we're going and to represent values that that people connect with and resonate with, um, to, to mobilise collective effort. Um, and so from that perspective, good leadership isn't dependent on being in the leadership role. You know, it's something that all people can exercise within, within their group and community is to articulate, here's what I think would be a really good thing to, to do 
and either explicitly articulate the values that inform that or those will just be apparent to people and to try and mobilise people to achieve something positive. So I definitely don't think leadership is just about about the role and I think it's I think that's a really important issue because we actually want to mobilise people engaging in acts of leadership, you know, across all domains of society um, to try and bring more goodness into the world, to try and, you know, solve the problems um, that that we face. And we can't just rely on a, a small elite few who are in leadership roles to do to, to, to know all the answers or to do all of that work it is a, a collective process let's bring some goodness into the world let's have the first of your song choices nina simone here comes the sun why this one well nina simone generally is just a kick-ass amazing woman um and one of my favorite artists um but i think i especially just love this song because it's one that i've turned to repeatedly at, at difficult times you know to try and you know keep things in perspective you know, that this too will pass. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun, little darling. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right. It's all right. Here comes the sun, little darling. Here comes the sun, I say, it's alright, it's alright, little darling, it's been a long, cold and lonely winter, little darling, it feels like years since you Suze, when I asked you about what good leadership is, you said you asked if I meant during the pandemic or in normal times. Yes. Is it different? Um, I think there are some particular differences about when you're in a crisis situation because emotions are so much more heightened. and, And so being able to 
connect with how people are feeling and to convey messages that demonstrate you understand those concerns um, and to some degree validate that they are a are, are, are reasonable you know, reaction um, to the situation, but also try to, in some ways, lift people out of that to, to, to have some hope, you know, and to show that and to kind of crystallise what are some specific things that they can do that will make a difference. Um, so a really good example, I think, of that was um, like Adun's key speech when she announced the first lockdown. Um, and, you know, she basically said, you're all going home at least for a month, which is a hugely <laughs> dramatic thing, you know, for a prime minister to tell, tell a country, right? Um, but what she said is stay home, save lives. So she gives meaning and purpose to what we were doing. And, you know, it's, a, it's an incredibly meaningful act to think the small thing of inconveniencing myself contributes in a, in a significant way to potentially helping ensure that other people don't die. So she, she gave meaning and purpose to us. She talked about, you know, yes, it's going to be tough. You're not going to be able to see your family and friends, but you can take your kids for a walk. Um, so, again, she's trying to empathise with the, the practical and emotional experiences that, that people were going to be confronted by and, you know, brought a level of comfort and reassurance. Um, but she was also, I feel like, really firm. We have a plan. We know what we're doing. We're going to do this. And so, you know, she's instilling hope um, as well. And, it, you know, you've got to try to connect with those you know, that huge mix of emotion that, that's going on for people in a crisis situation in a way that cuts through all of that and, and just crystallises what's really important here. Um, so, yeah, I think it, the pressure's on. And I think the other thing that's really important about crisis leadership is maintaining your own composure. Um, you know, I can't imagine what it must be like to make make the kinds of decisions um, you know, that, that she's had to make and then, you know, literally walk out from the cabinet room into a press conference and and articulate that to the to the nation in a clear and composed fashion. And of course, yes, she has a speechwriter to help with that, but she has to carry carry the, the room. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, her, her composure under pressure, I think, is extraordinary. I think the brilliant move was also, after she gave those formal speeches, was doing a Facebook Live in a dirty sweatshirt, sitting on a bed yes. late, yes. late at night saying, whoa, what a day, this is what it yes. means. Yes. Yes, so she, um, I think this is, you know, what's shifting in people's ideas about about leadership. So in my, art, in my article this week, I talked about kind of more traditionalist views of leaders are bold and in command and tough and that sort of thing versus, you know, those of us that actually want our leaders to be human. We want to be in some kind of sense of connection with them. We want to have a sense of who they are as a person. Um, you know, we don't want them to just kind of be up on high and tell us what to do and we're all submissive in, in response. So, yeah, I mean, I think she, she, she engages in that kind of relatable just you know engagement in a in a way that um, gives people confidence you're dealing with a real human being, not not you know not just a a manufactured kind of spin doctored um, you know veneer. Whereas you know the likes of Scott Morrison or Boris Johnson, I think in an environment like that they would be very flat footed. So as I spend a lot of time pondering um, the way forward, particularly in education for our children, and um, the, the challenges that they have ahead of them coming into this world that we're leaving them, oh my gosh, mm. so many challenges. How do we prepare children for leadership? That's a great question. Um, I think by helping them look at what's happening in their reality, in their groups. So going to where they're, they're at and when someone, you know, in their group makes a positive 
suggestion that helps others make sense of what's going on or which helps others to uh, feel themselves more confident, more included, um, that offers an idea that helps solve problems, saying to them, that was an act of leadership, good on you. And working from that, because if we can help kids understand, oh, I can do leadership, then, you know, we're, we're giving them confidence to then um, be more willing to step forward and make a contribution. Um, and, you know, while, while confidence is not the only thing that matters for leadership, I mean, competence and, and commitment and character are also really important. Um, so often what stops people, you know, particularly young people, um, from engaging in leadership is, is they're just not sure if they should take that risk. So if we can say to them, you know, and they build up a track record of getting positive reinforcement for engaging in leadership, you know, like particularly if you're, you know, like if you're a, a parent and you've got multiple children, you know, you're always relying on different kids to, to organise each other, right? So, you know, look for moments when, when one of them is, is leading the others and, and encourage them, um, reward that, reinforce that. Um, and as they get more experiences under their belt, they'll get more skilled. You know, um, one of the, you know, one of the things that you you learn as a kid, you know, if you're trying to influence other kids, is how to sort out fights. Yeah, you know, so stepping in and you know resolving resolving a disagreement in a calm and fair fair fashion. I mean, that's a great skill for a kid to learn. That has huge value, you know, later in later in life. So the more of those experiences they can have, the more we can keep saying to them, that's an example of leadership, that's an example of leadership, the more confident they will be to step forward and actually, you know, really, really make a, a bigger, bigger impact as a leader. One of the things um that, you know, with my own kids, um they've grown up, you know, because we've we've been really involved uh, politically for the whole of their lives and They've grown up knowing our politicians, so they know Jacinda as a person and, and uh, locally our, our politicians, and they're really lucky for that. And I know that's a really privileged position, but what I can't explain to them is why adults are so abusive to these to these people that they know. They're not just a figurehead. These are real, alive, living people that mean something to them. Um, and and they sit there and they watch adults being incredibly abusive. And how, how do you explain that to a child? And how do you stop that from becoming the barrier for them and their own future leadership? Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I, I feel sometimes like this is, you know, there are, there are so many issues that we're trying to deal with, you know, the pandemic, climate change, inequality, you know, all that kind of stuff. But but our inability to engage in civil discourse just cuts across all of those issues, right? And so, so for me, it's a it's a really central issue that we we have to keep calling that obnoxious behaviour out and saying no, that's that's not okay. Um, you know, I I do think we need to, you know, governments need to do more with social media platforms to try and, um, you know, condition. Set boundaries about what can be what can be shared. I mean, I've tried to. I've reported someone on LinkedIn this morning for a for a, a, a comment that literally was about it was it was white supremacist. Um, no bones about it. And and they're not the, the securities come back and said no, that's that's not breaching our rules. I'm just like, oh my god. So I, I think that those platforms. You know, the evidence of the toxic harm that 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 facilitating is really clear. So the pressure has to keep going on them to do that. We have to encourage people to call that behaviour out, not indulge in it themselves, um, deplatform people engaging in that as much as we can. I mean, on Twitter, I just block like crazy. I'm, I'm you know, they're not going to get in my timeline. They're not going to get seen by my followers. Um, you know, they can... You know, the more we can marginalise that stuff, actually, the better. Because, you know, it used to be every village had its arsehole, right? Yeah. Um, but, but 
they were kind of one and they didn't know any other assholes. And now they find each other all online and they're emboldened um, in, the, in their views, they're validated in their views. Um, uh, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really toxic um, force. So trying to help people to understand that ultimately abuse says more about the abuser than it do, ever does about the abused. And that's what social media has done, isn't it? It's it's provided a platform. Um, I remember uh, I, not so long ago, actually, um, someone was particularly unkind to me on social media, and I saw them in the street, and I said, hey, I don't know if you know me, but I'm the person who you said this to. And the look on his face that, oh, my gosh, you know, like all of a sudden the separation between this is my online world and it's not really real to this is a human being whose feelings are hurt. It was a shock. And actually um, uh, he recently did something very kind, uh, which I that was completely unexpected, but that because I called him out on it. But it can be very unsafe too, can't it, to do that? Yes, 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 yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, it is I think, really clear that people are much more likely to be rude online than they are face face to face um you know people who you know hide behind anonymous avatars and stuff as well um i mean they're just giving themselves even more license to to be like that but yeah i mean it, it it's incredibly problematic um i also think what would help is if we do more work to actually educate people how these things work. So to understand what the algorithms do, um, to understand the nature of trolling and bots, um, um, to understand um, in terms of conspiracist perspectives, the kinds of values that actually sit behind them, um, the kind of forces that sit behind them. Um, you know, so for example, uh, someone I follow on, on Twitter uh, Rangi Kamara, who's just done this amazing job throughout the parliamentary protests of, you know, tracking what's going going on. Um, extraordinary piece of, of, you know, if you like, citizen journalism. Um, connections between those who were engaged in the parliamentary protests and who are now um, basically replicating Russian propaganda. Um, okay about the Ukrainian war and just the, I mean, the, the irony and the stupidity of people who are parading around talking about freedom, who are now supporting, you know, a, a dictator, you know, who is invading another country and denying their citizens their freedom to even, you know, live. It's just, it's, it's just mind-blowing. So helping people understand all of those things, I think, you know, knowledge is power. There's been a bit of a, um, a lot of, well, actually not a bit of a movement, a, a lot of conversation around teaching civics in schools, um, going back to that basic stuff of getting your birth certificate and your real me and your IRD and all the rest of it and, and enrolling to vote and learning about that process. Is that where this fits, this 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 learning about how the digital world works, the that personal responsibility for the things that we say and do online, does it fit in that space? Yeah, I mean, if it's it's all part of being a good citizen, isn't it? You know, so, you know, being a good citizen, you know, means, you know, under, understanding how our society functions in a legal and constitutional and an electoral sense, but also how what citizenship, good citizenship entails, you know, which is, you know, having basic respect for other people and and you know being willing to listen to different different views and not abusing people for for who they are or for having a different point of view. Um, so so yeah, I mean I think definitely it, it connects with all of all of that and yeah, you just leverage off from there into here are the forces that are against you that you need to understand who are you know they are trying to undermine democracy. There is I think there's very little doubt about that when you turn up in at Parliament claiming that you have the right to arrest our politicians, remove them from office, put them on trial and execute them, you know, in no way is that, you know, a, a, an act of civil disobedience. That's just, you know, extremist nonsense. Mm.
Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi arahanu, kia koutou, kutahuaho. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. I really hope, wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here making things better. Thank you. Now I know that for all of us over the last more than two years we've had to deal with so many shifts and change, so much about the life that we knew and at times took for granted. Moving through each day at times in a state of automatic pilot, feeling comfortable, feeling at home and feeling that our future would unfold in ways that we could predict most of the time. We find ourselves in quite a different environment now and of course this has created a lot of uncertainty and we do find ourselves each day learning more and more about who we are and what we can do together and as individuals. As we all know for many of us our lives have had to change the structure of our daily routines, our weekly routines, the shape of our year, how we go about our our work how we present ourselves in the world, all these things have shifted and changed. And for many of us, we are having to communicate differently, connect differently, and find new aspects of ourselves that can come forward, support this. I know in my own work, having been an environmental educator since 2005, so much has shifted and changed for me. That direct interaction, which I love so much with people of all ages, that spontaneous and electrifying interchange of ideas and experiences has had to shift to more remote learning and creating videos and online resources. And for me, of course, this has been a big change. Not only that, but having to find new skills to support the team at my heart's home, Orokunui Eco Sanctuary, finding new ways to be there helping on the front desk, helping at the cafe, becoming more multi-purpose. I think this is something we're all having to learn how to do. And as much as it is challenging and as much as it is a symptom of the changes that we're all experiencing, it can also be an opportunity for pleasure and fun and learning and play and enjoyment, just as all new experiences can. So I really hope for you, wherever you are and whatever changes are taking place, these new opportunities are finding their way to inspire and animate you, to stimulate you and enliven you in new ways each day. Something, of course, that I'm finding is as our roles are shifting and changing, again and again, we are reminded that we are working for the same cause, even in different ways, different skill sets coming forward. Still, we are working in service for the living world. And as we know, we are all co-evolving with all life in an infinite web. And since the universe erupted into being, these relationships have sustained life and are so important to celebrate and protect with our time and energy, with our hearts and minds and spirits united as one. And so wherever we are working, if we can dedicate our energy, our time, to a sense of cohesion, if we can find our commonalities, a way that we're all contributing, something special, something different, something unique, but something which contributes to our reality as a whole. I think this is really, really helpful. I've been loving my day-to-day working on the front desk at Orokunui, but of course, interacting with our visitors, our volunteers, our staff, speaking with people in the community, on the phone, all of these ways that we're connecting and finding those common ground we stand on and of course when we are standing on that common ground feel that connection with each other and with all the life that surrounds us and things feel more stable and a bit more smooth we walk into the future together and i look forward to talking to you soon thanks so much Kakite. you're listening to blowing bubbles we're talking with suze wilson suze we've seen lots of change in society over the last couple of years what do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly and positively, what do you hope will stick? So what I hope will stick is actually more attention to health and safety issues 
um, more, uh, you know, awareness that, you know, our community has many vulnerable people who need our support um, and, and, you know, that the government will keep pouring money into addressing those kinds of issues because, you know, the, pan the pandemic has really exposed, you know, how weak some of our core support mechanisms are, how vulnerable so many members of our community are. And, you know, ideally we want to spend the next, you know, five to ten years trying to remedy as so many so as many of those long-standing issues as we can so that, you know, frankly, if another pandemic comes along, we're much better placed um, to deal with it. Um, I would hope that um, the, the messages around kindness, <laughs> despite what we've just been talked about, would, would stick. Um, I mean, you know, there, there are many important values that guide us in, in life, but actually kindness makes a huge difference. Um, you know, if you're having a difficult day and, and someone is kind to you, that can transform that can transform your day. And it might just be the smallest of, of things. It might just be someone smiling at you as you walk past. Um, so I would, I would hope that would stick. Um, and what I would hope um, we might learn out of this is that um, when a full-blown crisis comes at us really fast, it's really difficult to deal with it. Um, climate change is a slow-burning crisis and we can see it very clearly and we shouldn't keep ignoring it because otherwise it's going to heat up to the level of intensity that the pandemic has been at and we know how difficult that is. So let's kind of not just be so slow in relation to climate change, let's speed up our efforts um, around the kind of transformative changes we need to, to address that. What could leadership do to give climate change, but also things like biodiversity collapse, social justice at the large scale, to give it that urgency, to actually say, these are things we need to do now? Yes. Well, I think... Actually, naming these things as crises or, you know, fundamental issues that, you know, are high on the agenda that we do need to deal with and being really persistent and firm about articulating that, providing the evidence, trying to persuade people and get them engaged is really important because, you know, there's always going to be competing perspectives, competing issues, you know, struggling struggling to get on the agenda um, I think that's important I also think drawing the connections between things is really helpful you know so there is a connection between climate change and racism for example yeah because the reason we've abused the planet is because we've treated it as an object rather than respected its why we're right um, the the reason we engage in racism is because we don't respect the mana of other people. Um, so there's a connection between those things. Um, and I think the more that we can help people see how, how these things are connected, the more it will feel like rather than, okay, there's this issue and this issue and this issue and, oh, my God, so many issues, it's just like, no, there is a way of being in the world um, that I need to personally practice and try to influence those within my sphere of influence to also practice to make a contribution um, to, to, to a, a better future. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have the feelers stand up. Why this one? Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, for me, this, this song is about the, you know, the value actually of standing up for things that you believe believe in and be encountered um, for that uh, and yeah I want I want people to do do that for you know um, the things that are that will make our world a better place you know eliminating prejudice um, addressing climate change you know trying to get more justice and equity in the world
time to open up memories of your past and it's time to move on It's time to open up the shadows of your heart and it's time to move on Cause it's a great time to live and it's time to stand up you talked about one of the things that leadership has to do is that have that future vision perhaps it's that long long road that you've got to be strong on and <laughs> the immediate needs of the the community and individuals how does a good leader balance those two mm. and that that is incredibly difficult right and there there isn't probably going to be a perfect balance to be struck so in some sense it's a matter i think of kind of constantly oscillating between the immediate and the long term and trying to to put as many bricks in the road for the longer term as you can at the same time that you're you know you're hosing down the house that's on on fire um which means in that sense neither of your responses both short term or long term will be perfect but you're pouring energy into both you're not ignoring you're not solely doing one at the expense of expense of the other um, you know, there's no point creating a future, a, a, a perfect future, if we're all dead, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and and there's no point just hosing down the the house um, while the forest is burning. You know, so um, it is. It's a real juggling act. I liked the response to the fuel prices last week. That not just cutting the fuel excise tax, but linking yes. that to um, public transport. 
Yes. I yes, think that was I a really clever positioning of that. Yeah, I think it is a good example of trying to balance short and long-term pressures because definitely more public transport, especially in Auckland, you know, where, you know, it's a it's actually a reasonably compact city, but it's choking with cars. Um, you know, so, yeah, really good example. I have some questions to end the show with and not very much time, so we're going to have to rattle through them. What yeah. is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Um, surviving. That's <laughs> 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 um, uh, probably the stages. Um, I suppose the, the, the writing, actually, the writing that I've been doing about Ardun has attracted over 2 million readers. Um, so that feels meaningful. Um, and I think there are really useful lessons that people can learn from her example. And, and I know I've had readers from around the world, you know, contact me to, to tell me that they found those lessons useful. We are writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are most definitely in that team. What's your superpower? What's got you into the mansion? Oh, um, I think I'm not too bad at trying to make sense of um, key elements that explain what's going on from a from a leadership and followership perspective. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yes. No, there's a there's an easy question. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Always have. I mean, I've been involved. I mean, my first experience of being politicised was the, the Spring Rock Tour. Um, yeah, and so, uh, yeah, activism in various forms. Um, these days, a lot of it is more about giving money to, to causes I support than because I'm time poor. Um, but, yeah, I've always tried to um, be involved in kind of social justice causes. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, I want to make some kind of difference. Yeah, um, you know, in, 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 you know, whatever sphere of influence I, I might have, I want to stand for something that, you know, I think is, is in pursuit of, of more goodness in the world. So what challenge or opportunity are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Ah, uh, I've got some more stuff I want to write um, about about leadership, mostly women leaders. I've done a study with of some other women leaders with a colleague from Australia. Um, so I'm looking forward to pulling that stuff together and uh, trying to get, get it out there. Um, I'm teaching a new course, um, or new to me anyway, in the second half of the year, so I'm looking forward to, to doing that. Yeah, plenty to keep me busy. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, <laughs> uh, I think the last couple of years it's been about trying to breathe through our noses as much as we can to just get through the moment or the day um, and to yeah, not lose sight of um, you know, all the good people that are doing great work. Um, my partner was working on the VAX program um, last year and the work that's going on at the community level around that is just fantastic. Uh, I'm just... Yeah, I think I'm in awe of, of people who are working at the, the front line dealing with the worst effects of not only the pandemic, but just the, you know, the rampant inequality and, and suffering that is going on. Um, so all power to them. Thank you for that. Moira. Susan, it has been an absolute joy uh, to get to talk to you today. Uh, I've been a, a long-time fan of your writing. Uh, I really appreciate... Uh, the goodness that you bring to the world and the and the, that different perspective. Um, and you've got this way of just cutting through all the nonsense and getting into the deep, getting into the stuff that really matters. And I appreciate that so much. So thank you for joining us today. And we look forward to, um, I don't know, just watching your wisdom unfold as our world does. So, um, yeah, again, it's just been a real joy. Kia ora. Kia ora. That's incredibly kind. Thank you. Thank you.
Bogey Bubble News, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We are broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We have a conversation today from Tahu McKenzie. This is the Toasters. Don't let the bastards grind you down. 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 Don't let the bastards This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.